Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I think a lot of people in the industry have been somewhat naive about how long it would take for the federal government and Congress in particular to take action to sort of remedy this situation. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And this is Paul Demko, Politico's cannabis editor. There's no other situation quite like it, right? I don't, I don't think there's ever been a situation in, in this country where you had this massive disconnect between federal and state law and you've allowed, you know, this multi-billion dollar industry to spring up while at the same time continuing to treat it at the federal level like illegal narcotics operations. As the weed market continues to boom and legalization grows, cannabis companies saw a potential gold rush that hasn't completely materialized. You just have all these challenges in, in what everybody thinks is, you know, this, this booming market. And it is in some ways. It's just incredibly difficult to actually make any money. On the show today, why most of them are bleeding money with no end in sight. So we know that there have been huge disparities in how cannabis has traditionally been policed and now who is able to open cannabis distribution shops and dispensaries. But on the biggest level, you've been recently reporting on Bo Wrigley, the Wrigley chewing gum heir, whose own cannabis adventures were pretty disastrous and pretty interesting. So can you start by first telling me about that? Yeah, so so Bo Wrigley, who's yeah the Wrigley Chewing Gum, he used to be the Wrigley Chewing Gum CEO, but uh, the heir to that business, which was sold to Mars for twenty three billion dollars, back in twenty eighteen, he led a sixty five million dollar investment in a uh, Florida medical marijuana company at the time was known as Certera Holdings, and that company was mostly in the Florida medical market which was just getting going really at the time. And Wrigley, after he led that investment, he became the CEO and the chairman of the board of Zotera. And they really started on some ambitious growth. I mean, they, they purchased operations in Massachusetts and Texas and Nevada and Pennsylvania. They brought in some big time executives that usually stay away from, you know, the quasi legal marijuana business, like a former CEO of Patron Spirits Company, Mm. former CFO of the Kellogg Company. And it looked like, you know, that Certera, which eventually was rebranded as Parallel, was really destined for for big things because the the marijuana you know market is really growing rapidly. We're going to expected to have thirty two billion dollars in legal sales this year, which is more than double what yeah. it was you know just in twenty nineteen. But everything kind of started to run off the rails for Parallel. In 2021, first they announced that they were going to go public, but that deal then fell apart in uh, September of 2021. And then after that, in the subsequent months, the company has now been hit by a pair of lawsuits by investors who basically say that they were... um, defrauded by Parallel and by Bo Wrigley, that they that the company presented them with sort of fanciful financial projections, engaged in insider dealing, and, 
you know, told them things that weren't true in order to get them to invest their money in the company. I should point out that Bo Wrigley, a spokesperson for Bo Wrigley, put out a statement to Politico in response to the allegations in the lawsuit. And this is what it said. Mr. Wrigley is confident the facts will demonstrate the allegations in the complaints have no merit. He will defend against these false claims in court. So he is rejecting these allegations, clearly. And I just want to be clear, these lawsuit allegations are separate from our conversations about how it's tough to make money in big cannabis, right? Yes, those are those are allegations of nefarious, uh, nefarious behavior and financial misdeeds. I mean, that goes, yes, beyond sort of the, 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 the standard challenges that any cannabis company will face. How is Wrigley's company, how is Parallel emblematic of the challenges in the cannabis industry? Well, it's it's true whether you're, you know, a huge company like Parallel or if you're a little struggling Detroit medical shop, one of the big challenges or several big challenges that this industry faces is one because of federal illegality, you pay crazy high taxes. There's a section of the tax code called 280E that says if you are an illegal narcotics trafficker, you cannot write off any of the standard business exemptions. So things like employee salaries and benefits, you can't write off. So you pay really, really high taxes. On top of that, you're largely shut out of the banking industry because of federal illegality. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to raise capital. And if you are able to raise capital, you often are doing so under really shitty terms. That aren't very beneficial to to the company, um, and then on top of that, we still have you know a huge illegal marijuana market in this country yeah. that you're comp- even in states with legal markets that you're competing against. And you know, you know, Joe Blow, the drug dealer, isn't paying uh, licensing fees and taxes right. and everything else. So you just have all these challenges in in what everybody thinks is you know this this booming market, and it is in some ways. It's just incredibly difficult to actually make any money. Yeah. So wait, what does it take to be a big national player? in the cannabis industry right now in the current landscape, if you're selling legally? <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing is, is, is lots of capital because the other, the other crazy thing about it is every market is siloed, right? There's no interstate commerce. So if you want to operate in Massachusetts and you want to operate in Michigan, you have to do, you have to have completely separate operations. So you've got to, have to grow all your weed in Massachusetts. You have to process it. You have to sell it. All that has to be an autonomous operation. And then in Michigan, you have to create all of that over, over again. So it's incredibly capital intensive and really difficult. I mean, I think most people who are in this industry see it as a long play, right? That eventually, as legalization just continues spreading across the country, eventually the federal government's going to do something to kind of loosen restrictions and make it easier to make money. And then some of these companies that have positioned themselves to be massive players, the, the profits will start rolling in, I think is the, the hope. But in the meantime... Yeah, mo- most of these companies are losing money. You know, even the biggest marijuana companies in the country are, are, are mostly losing money. It seems like also a problem is that states are in a weird spot where if they don't want to regulate or legalize cannabis at all, then they're just incentivizing an illicit market. I mean, there's two things. Yes, 
in states that don't have any legal sales, yes, the, the, we have we have decades of history in this country that says no matter <laughs> marijuana could be illegal and people are still going to use it. Yeah. So definitely, the illicit market is, is thriving in those places. But also, you have places like California where the businesses will say. The regulations are so onerous and the taxes, and now I'm talking about state taxes, are so onerous that they can't make any money and there's no enforcement. So you have, even in a, in a state like California that's supposedly this like weed utopia, you still have this really thriving illicit market that makes it really difficult for, for companies to make any money and compete with those underground operators. And it's gotten worse over the last year. I mean, if you if you go back to January, February of 2021, when Democrats took total control of the federal government, there was all this optimism in the cannabis industry. All these companies companies were raising huge amounts of capital to like go on shopping sprees and stock prices were going up and whatnot. And then nothing, nothing has happened in Washington and the industry is just sort of tanked. You've seen stock prices just collapse and companies just not doing very well. Paul Demko, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Also in the news, Florida is the only state in the nation that has not placed an order with the federal government for doses of the COVID-19 vaccine for young children. On Wednesday, its Department of Health called the distribution process convoluted, And on Thursday, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis doubled down, railing against providing COVID-19 vaccines to young children, and said that Florida will not provide state programs to administer vaccinations for toddlers or infants. And the Senate has approved a proposal that would allow borrowers that have student loan debt linked to a spouse or ex-spouse to separate those loans. For many, it could also open a path to having their loans erased as part of a federal loan forgiveness program. If approved by the House and signed by President Biden, the legislation would close a loophole created in the 1990s that allowed married couples to consolidate their student loans for lower interest rate. Congress shuttered the program in 2006, but never passed a way to separate the loans. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch includes music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>